Father, we so look forward to that day when we will be together, when we will uh, be with you, and uh, sin and sorrow and pain and suffering will be done, and you will have made all things new. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, that uh, you will indeed complete the job that you've begun. And I thank you that you are even working on us now. And I do pray as we look in your word, as we just sojourn on this earth, as we uh, are aliens in this world, that you would grant us wisdom how to respond and how to act in the midst of an ungodly world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue to finish our reminders before we get into our next uh, book in the scriptures, uh, I felt it right to remind myself primarily. And as I prepare, I prepare for myself first. Uh, I need to uh, listen to the word myself. I need to respond to it myself and then share it with you. And I felt... uh, that it would be good for us to be reminded how to behave in the midst of an ungodly world. Um, the reality is there's a lot going on around us that can cause us to um, be uh, concerned or even upset as we look at what uh, the government's doing, what people are doing. It seems like things are changing rapidly. And yet Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. But uh, we understand that sometimes there are seasons of peace and there are seasons then of difficulty. And right now it appears that we as uh, believers in the United States might be getting close to the entrance. We're not even there. We're not suffering at all, but the entrance to difficulty. So how are we to respond to those in the society who are so ungodly? How are we to respond to ungodly governments and officials and things like that? How are we to respond? How are we to respond when we see a blatant, um, a flagrant uh, 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 approval of wickedness? How, how are we to respond? Uh, we tend to get kind of frustrated and angry in our hearts when we see those things. And there's a righteousness for a second, but then it becomes sinfulness when we don't respond the right way. So how are we to respond? I think we're all guilty of that as we want things to be righteous, but we live in this ungodly world. How are we to respond? Well, I believe we're going to see how to do so in uh, Titus chapter 3. And so would you turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 3? And I thought I'd share this before the radio gets there. The radio is getting close to this portion. And so I wanted to share this uh, particular portion. And we're going to go through a couple more verses than we did before when we were in this. We're going to go through verses 1 through 5. And the first verse we're going to kind of go through pretty quickly. But let me share the context to the book of Titus. The Apostle Paul is writing to his true child in the faith. Uh, Titus. It's apparent that Paul shared the gospel with Titus, and Titus came to faith. And here, the Apostle Paul has indicated that he had set him and left him behind in Crete to set in order what remains and to appoint elders. And in that context, he gives the qualifications for those in whom Titus is to appoint. He talks about these men. They're not just to be any men, but they're to be men who have the Christ-like qualifications laid out by Paul, uh, godly men who will hold fast the faithful word and will also be able to exhort and refute those who contradict to protect the body. And indeed, in the latter portion of chapter 1, Paul gives a picture of those very contradictors that are to be silenced. 
those who would be teaching things they should not teach, those who are upsetting whole households, upsetting people's faith, uh, those who hold or are holding to a form of godliness and yet denying its power, uh, those who were actually worthless for any good deed. And then after sharing, those in whom elders should be protecting the flock from and the flock should be weary and cautious of, we see the Apostle Paul in chapter 2 begins to introduce what believers are to be and why. And he goes to specific groups of what we are to be. Uh, He gives sound doctrine, healthy teaching concerning what we are to be. A doctrine for what older men are to be, for what older women are to be, younger women, younger men, bond slaves, what we are to be in Christ. Instructions for the body of Christ. And then he lays out how we are able to do those things. He says in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, right? And to live righteously, godly in this present age, right? Looking for the blessed hope. It's only through Jesus Christ that we are able to be who he has called us to be as older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and in the workforce or slaves and masters. It is only through Christ that we're able to do so. And Christ is the one who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify him for himself a a possession, zealous for good works. You see, it's all through Christ. And then we come into chapter 3 and we see the sphere in which we're going to be zealous for good deeds. The sphere in which we see that there is a lot of evil, but yet... How are we to respond in the midst of that? Uh, Titus chapter 3. Let me start in verse 1. Remind them, and that's what I'm reminding you all and reminding myself because I need it first before you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Now that's where we're going to stop today, but I want to keep reading because it's so important to see what Paul tells Titus. Not on the basis of deeds, which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So how are we to behave in an ungodly world? How are we as believers, those who have been saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how are we to behave? We're certainly tempted to respond. We're tempted to react. We're tempted to get upset. But God, through his word, wants to remind us how we are to be. Notice, first of all, he reveals how we are to behave in the midst of government. And this is important right now. Government's going crazy around us, isn't it? Uh, Government is uh, taking over. Uh, Pretty soon we're going to see more things mandated for us to do, whatever it might be. It's coming down the pipeline. So how are we to 
behave in the midst of these, uh, what we would see as unreasonable things? How are we to behave? Notice he says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. This is absent in the Christian church these days in relationship to government, by the way. I see it. I see how people react to what's going on, and I don't see this. And certainly in my own life, I'm tempted not to be this. But we need to be reminded because the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us. We are not who we used to be, and we need to be reminded of how we are to respond in the midst of things that are wrong and bad because there's much more going on than simply the little issues that Satan wants to get us sidetracked on. So he says here, remind them, remind them, or literally be reminding them, continually reminding them, Titus, continually remind them of this. And what are they to be reminded of? Well, we're not going to go through this part. We're just going to skim through it. But he says, first of all, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Now, we could spend our entire time on this, and that's not what I want to do today. But when we went through Titus and also saw this in 1 Peter 2, uh, we have really what God says about how we are to respond to uh, governments. You see, we are to be in subjection to rulers and authority. That means to submit, and that's government. Because indeed we see in Scripture, now I'm not saying to submit, saying to submit. We're not to sin, but we are to submit, okay? And so he says here that uh, governments we see in Romans 13 have been ordained by him, Romans 13, and that he uses them as his, his liturgos, his sacred servants, his ministers to accomplish what he desires. Even evil governments and evil men like Pilate and Caesar, John 19. And as we saw in 1 Peter 2, he uses the righteous response of his people who are in submission to him, who have set aside Christ as Lord of their hearts. He uses that by submitting, obeying, and honoring to bring about opportunities for the gospel in the midst of a wild and crazy and evil and sinful world. And we need to be reminded. But you say, how can we change it? How can we stop all this stuff that's going on? Well, the way I see that we stop all this stuff going on is by obeying the Lord God, by obeying him, by submitting and also, as we see, by praying, by praying. Look at First Timothy chapter 2. It's God's will. It's, it's well-pleasing to him to be able to live a, peaceful, live, a, live a peaceful and quiet life. That's a good thing. And so he tells us that we should be praying for it, but there's a means in which that peaceful and, and quiet life will come about through prayer and the answer of prayer. First Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Look at that. Entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings, and what does he say here? All who are in authority. We see that right now, right? In, all, in order that we may lead a, quiet and tr- lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony born at the proper time. Pray for their salvation. When you are tempted to complain and grumble about them, and believe me, I am, 
When you're tempted to do so, stop and pray for them. Pray for their salvation. They need Christ. They need Christ. And it's when they come to Christ, that's when things will change. That's when things will change. So pray for them. So then, we are to, in the midst of ungodly governments, we are to uh, submit. We're to be obedient uh, ready for every good deed, as we'll see, and that goes beyond just the ungodly governments. We're to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be now the rulers and authorities at this time was were the Roman government. They weren't so good, were they? They were not good, and uh, they were uh, evil actually, and they did a lot of evil things. And uh, the Lord Jesus made it clear, even with uh, when, when it's speaking of uh, with Pilate that he'd be fighting right now if this was his sphere. It wasn't. This isn't our sphere, folks. Uh, we are of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, if this is all there is, got to go out and fight for all your rights and do all that, okay? But right now, we are to submit. doesn't mean we don't pray for God to take care of those things, and for God to intervene and to stop the wickedness, to put a stay on that. But we are to submit, and we are to obey. We are to obey. So just summarizing that, you can go to First Peter, you can go to Romans 13, you can go to John 19. It's very clear. Uh, if it's if this uh, if you need more information, it's right in the scriptures. But for us now, how do we respond uh, to the ungodly in the midst of a, of a of a world that is full of ungodly people led by ungodly governments? How are we to respond? Because I'll tell you, I'm certainly tempted to respond badly. I'm tempted to respond uh, with a snarky attitude or bad attitudes towards people who, who are so evil and so wicked, uh, whatever it might be. I'm tempted to have uh, wrong responses. I'm certain you're probably tempted to have wrong responses too, maybe self-righteously wrong responses. I don't know how it is. But here, notice what he says here. He says we are to be, first of all, to be ready for every good deed to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Wow, that would stop a lot of these uh, shows on the radio. Uh, they're pretty contentious when it comes to issues. Some of these Christian shows, I mean, I believe the truth they believe, but when they come to some of the stuff they're talking about, they're very contentious. They're very contentious. There's a way to share the truth. There's a way to share a difference of opinion. There's a way to share what God's way is without being contentious. And we need to learn. We need to be reminded to do that because we can get caught up in that stuff. We can get caught up in it. So instead of uh, getting caught up, and he says to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So who is he speaking of? Is he speaking of believers, non-believers? I think in context here he's speaking of the unbelieving world because he goes on to explain in verse 3, for we were also once foolish ourselves. Be, be, show every consideration for all men. I believe it's the unbelieving world in a sense. We're obviously going to do that for believers. The unbelieving world, because we were just like them. Because we were just like them. We were like them, but Jesus Christ was kind and he saved us. He was kind and saved us, as we'll say. So he says here in verse 3, For we were also once so foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. So we're to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious and gentle, and have consideration for every four men, because we were just like them. And we'll see that along with being just like them, Jesus Christ in his kindness saved us. 
He saved us when we were like them, and so we need to be kind, as we'll see. We need to be considerate. Now, I'm not saying compromise. It doesn't say compromise in there. It doesn't say compromise your faith. It doesn't say agree with sin. It doesn't say at all. What does it say? It says to be ready for every good deed. That's the first thing here, to be ready for every good deed. We're to be prepared and ready. We're to be ready. Now, let me ask you this question. Are you ready for every good deed in the midst of an ungodly world? Are you ready for it? Are you ready? He says here that we are to be ready for every good deed. And that leads to the question, well, what is good? What is good? Well, we know in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and I'm going to read this to you, and as he was setting out on a journey, this is Christ setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? The implication is you don't believe in God. That's the implication. No one is good except God alone. You see, God is good. And in Scripture, we see that God is characterized by good. We see that his word is characterized by good. Let's take a look at a few Psalms. Turn to Psalm 14 to start. Psalm 14. And I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there was any who understand who seek after God. They all have turned aside. They all, together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, Paul will quote this in Romans chapter 3. But we know uh, that God is good. Apart from God, there's no good. Apart from God, there is no good. There's no good. Let's turn to Psalm 25, because we see that God is good. God is good. Psalm 25, verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. I love this. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Isn't that great? That's where we get instructed in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. Psalm Psalm 34, verse 8, David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How blessed you are. You, you, you rely on Christ. You trust in him. Psalm 86, verse 4. Make glad the soul of thy servant, for to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good. You are good and ready to forgive. He says here, in abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon thee. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. The Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. And one last psalm. Psalm 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep thy word. God is good. He uses affliction to kind of rein us back in. To discipline us. And he says, thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. You see, that's the way we need to see the Lord as he truly is. He's good. God is characterized by good, and his deeds are good, and he has actually created us in Christ Jesus for good works that we would walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves as the gift of God, uh, not of yourselves as a gift of God, not as a result of works, that anyone should boast... For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And sadly, I think 
we don't walk in many of those good works because we're walking in our reactions to stuff going on. And we need to walk in what he has called us to walk in. You see, the idea of good deeds is actually a theme throughout Titus, actually. Back in the book of Titus, let's go back there. Look at chapter 16, or chapter 16, verse 16 in chapter 1. These false teachers uh, were to be silenced. And notice what he says about them. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. This is uh, Titus chapter 1, 16. Being detestable and disobedient, worthless and worthless for any good deed. There's nothing good that's going to come out of them. And then what about uh, chapter 2, verse 7? In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Titus, be an example of it. And then we see that we are to be zealous for good deeds because of what Christ has done for us. Verse 13 of chapter 2, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. What about uh, chapter 3? Uh, verse 1, we saw it to be ready for every good deed. We saw that. Chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement concerning things which I want you to speak confidently so to that those who have believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These are good and profitable. These things are good and profitable for men. Then verse 14, chapter 3 of Titus. And let our people learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they might not be unfruitful. So back in our passage, we see that we are to be ready for every good deed, but we cannot do that apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is apart from him we can do nothing. It is when we are trusting and abiding in Christ and his word working in our hearts. You see, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. It's impossible. If you're not trusting him, and I, I guarantee when we're wound up and caught up in all the issues that are out there, we're not trusting him. We're caught up in the issues. We need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ because he uses his word to prepare us, to equip us, to be ready for every good deed, to be ready to walk into those things that he has preordained for us. Indeed, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for, for teaching. That's what we're doing here, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. And we're going to see some of those good works are just not being doing the evil that we should have that we used to do. When we would respond and be contentious, rather instead we'd be kind. Rather, instead of uh, the things that we would, we would, how we would respond to those uh, in wickedness, uh, should, we should be like Christ instead, as we'll see. So what are we to do? We're to be ready for every good deed. The term ready here speaks of a continual, habitual state of readiness or preparedness. Have you ever got prepared for anything? You, you got stuff ready, you got it ready, you were, gonna, you were thinking about what you're going to do. We're to be ready for every good deed, ready for every good deed. So I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? Because God says here that we are to be ready for every good deed. So not only are we being continually ready, we're also to manifest uh, this in relationship to all men. 
Notice, first of all, the Lord addresses our speech, our speech. We're not to speak evil against anyone. He says here, and, and by the way, he's speaking to Titus and then these Cretan believers and then all of us. He says in verse 2, to malign no one, to malign no one. The term malign, blasphemo, it speaks of speaking injuriously, words that are, are a weapon in a sense. Speaking injuriously, to malign no one. We're not to insult or injure or dishonor anyone. Boy, we tend to do that when we disagree with stuff, when we see evil. We can tend to do that, and it's wrong. We're not to do that. We're to to malign anyone. We're not to do so. Do you ever say anything that's intended to hurt someone, injure somebody? We're reminded never to do that, to malign no one. We are to speak the truth in love. There are times. Doesn't mean we don't not. Doesn't mean we're silent at times. Yes, we are silent. The Lord was silent many times, but we also at times may need to speak and say, "This is what God says about this. This is wrong. You need a savior to be saved from that." That's different than maligning somebody for their sinful behavior or their actions. So we're to malign no one. Malign no one. Okay, we're not to uh, speak injuriously of anyone, but how should we speak in relationship to non-believers? Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Now, for believers, we're to not let any unwholesome word proceed from our mouth, right, for believers. But that which is for edification, Ephesians chapter 4, we know that. And then in Colossians chapter 4, in terms of non-believers here, what does he say here? Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, Colossians 4, 5. He says, making the most of the opportunity, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Let your speech have the seasoning of grace, unmerited favor. They don't deserve it. They deserve to be told how wicked and evil they are and how they're on their way to hell, and that's true. And maybe God might open an opportunity for the gospel, but we're to have our speech seasoned with grace. With grace. We're to malign no one. We're to have spirit-led, a word-filled, grace-seasoned speech towards those who don't know Christ, to those who don't know Christ, and to one another. You see, our speech should be different than those who don't know Christ. It should be absent of slander. It should be flavored with grace. It should be flavored with grace. Okay, so we're to continually, habitually be ready for every good deed. And we're to be reminded to do that, to be ready, to malign no. And then notice the next one here. To be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Here we have the first of the two things that are t- we are to be. We are to be uncontentious. We are to be gentle. And then there's a participle, showing or demonstrating every consideration for all men. Uncontentious and gentle, and then it's connected, showing that we are to be uh, showing every consideration. So first of all, in relationship to those who don't know Christ, we're to be uncontentious. The term comes from a Greek word machas, or machas, which is negated with the word ah, ah, machas. You know, like you hear millennium, ah, millennium means no millennium. So it's ah, machas. So here, the term mache spoke of a physical fight, a contest with weapons, spoke of strife, disputes, and quarrels. 
We're not to have any of that. We are not to be contentious with non-believers. Man, again, I have to say it. I hear some of these Christian shows on the radio, and they are so contentious. I'm telling you, and I, I, I think they've got some of the right doctrine, but their attitudes and the way they come across is just not right. It's just not right. We're not to be contentious. The same word is used in James chapter 4. Turn to James chapter 4, and you're probably very familiar with this. James chapter 4. And folks, we wouldn't need to be reminded if we weren't tempted to be contentious also. I'll tell you that right now. I am. We get tempted. We get tempted when we see the wickedness. And then we hear other people that are contentious. We kind of go, yeah, right? We've got to be careful. James chapter 4. What is the source of your quarrels and your mache, mache, your conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight. There you go. That's your word, and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. We're to not be those who are contentious. We're not to be contentious with people. You see... We need to be those who are like Christ. Christ was not contentious. Yes, he spoke the truth in love. We see him not holding back when he was addressing the religious hypocrites, right? But we see him not being contentious. We see him being gentle in the midst of those rebukes. Let me share some passages here again in Titus chapter uh, 3, verse 9. But shun foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes. There's our word, contentions. This is about, uh, about the word, about the law. For they're unprofitable and worthless. Shun the disputes about God's word. How much more should we shun the disputes about politics and stuff, right? It's not profitable. It's not profitable. 2 Timothy 2.22, and this is so important to, to remember this, this passage, and we need to put it in our hearts so that we'll be ready for every good deed. Now flee useful lusts, and it's easy to remember, 2 Timothy 2.22, right? Flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing they produce quarrels. Produces quarrels. We don't want to quarrel. We don't want to quarrel with non-believers. Uh, we want to be like Christ in their midst so that they might uh, see something different and they might wonder why we have hope and they might have a door. We might have a door for the gospel. Let me share some Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15. And again, I don't want to harp on some of these shows, you know, on the radio and stuff, but we've we got to be careful that we don't get caught up in them because what's being said is probably pretty true in a lot of those and, and, and it's not good. Not, that'll lead us to our knees in prayer, by the way. I'll lead us to our knees in prayer. But the way that things are being said, we've got to be careful. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Oh, I think we could all go, oh, how I felt at times. Where we know you didn't have that gentle answer, and you go, wow, I, I, I blew it there, right? But a gentle answer turns away wrath. Prepare for those good deeds. Be prepared. Have the word in your heart so that you're ready for a gentle answer. See, I don't think we're ready for gentle answers. I think we're not ready for every good deed. We're not prepared. We're not thinking in advance. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Proverbs 15:18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, 
but the slow to anger pacifies contention. Proverbs 26, verse 4, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, lest he be wise in his own eyes. We are to be uncontentious, uncontentious. We need to stop arguing with non-believers. We need to stop quarreling with them. We need to stop quarreling with each other. Uh, we need to stop contending. Uh, yes, with non-believers, we know they're wrong. Yes, they malign you. Yes, they're evil. But as we're going to see, we once were that way also. And Christ saved us and changed us. Well, some would say, aren't we to use this word, contend earnestly for the faith? Yes, Jude 1, but that's in the context of those who had snuck in unnoticed false teachers in the church, and that's quite different. So then notice here we are to be not or not to be contentious in any way, shape, or form. And we've got to think about that in advance because we will be contentious if we don't think about it. If we don't prepare in advance, we're going to just default back to that fleshy stuff. Now notice, in, in parallel with contentious, we're also to be, what? Gentle, back in our passage, gentle. This term, translated gentle, speaks so much more than just gentleness from our point of view. It, it speaks of a yielding or a forbearing or even a sweet reasonableness. Um, one pastor writes, it indicates a willingness to give up your personal rights to show consideration in the context of gentleness and kindness to other people. To give up your rights to be gentle and kind to others. We're not to be contentious, but we're to, we're to be yielding. We're to be yielding. And that does not happen within ourselves. It happens when Christ is controlling us. And Christ is controlling us. We want our rights. We want it our way. It's a gentle yielding of rights. Now, this doesn't originate from us, as I've shared. It comes from Christ. Indeed, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, Now I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Hey, this is how I'm coming in this manner. It's from Christ. It's a characteristic of God's wisdom, James chapter 3. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle and gentle. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 is the same verse. Let your forbearing spirit be known, made known to all men. Let your sweet yielding of your rights be made known to all men. And this is impossible without Christ. And this is so opposite of what the world would expect. It's so opposite of what we might expect. And it only can happen with Christ in control. So we are to be gentle and uncontentious. And then notice these two to be's, gentle, to not be uncontentious, or to be uncontentious and to be gentle, are, are, are surrounded by this phrase. Look at this, showing every consideration for all men. Showing. The word showing means to demonstrate. To demonstrate to all men or for all men. The direction it speaks of towards, pros towards all men, showing every consideration towards all men. Well, wait a second. What if they're evil? Well, towards all men. Now, we've got to be wise also. We're going to allow the word of God to, con to control us so we're protected from those who are evil. We're to stay away from that. We see that in Proverbs, right? But here, it's directional. It's towards all men. And this term consideration is another cognate of the word translated Weakness or meekness. 
It speaks of strength under control or gentleness. It speaks of something that someone that considers someone else's weakness. In this context, we're considering they are completely weak. They are in sin. They need Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a gentleness showing every consideration to all men. Are you like the Savior? Are we like the Savior? Uh, We were saved to be like Christ, and we're being reminded by the Word of God to be like Christ. And so we are to uh, demonstrate all meekness towards every man. And that's different. That has to be Christ controlling us, right? I tell you, there's a lot of opportunities to not be meek these days with all that's going on. It doesn't mean we, we can't disagree and say something is wrong. Something is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. But how do we respond to that wrong? How do we respond? We need to yield our rights. We need to stop contending. Well, how do we make the gospel known then? How would we do that then? Well, we see that when non-believers see the life of Christ in us, uh, when they see his gentleness in us, when they see we have hope because we've set him as Lord of our hearts, then maybe, just maybe, they might ask us why we have hope. First Peter chapter 3, verse 14, But even if you should suffer, for the sake of righteousness you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, do not be troubled, but sanctify, that means set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the very thing which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. See, we respond right in Christ because Christ is Lord of our hearts and it may open doors for the gospel because it's so different than everything else that they might ask us why we have hope. You know, I've never seen you know a non-believer in the midst of an argument over evolution or creation or abortion ask why they have hope. Yes, we can share those things are sinful and wrong, and it's not true, but we pray for God to open doors for the gospel that they need a Savior from their sins. And why we have hope, be ready to share. So then, in the context of gentleness and readiness, we see we're to be ready for every good deed. Every good deed. Allowing God's word to work in our hearts in every situation that we would walk in those good deeds he's prepared beforehand. We're to be uncontentious. We're to be forbearing and yielding. We're to be meek and gentle, showing that to all men. Okay, I understand that. But uh, how is it I'm able to do that? Or what is... Why why does God share that we should be doing this? Why should we be treating people this way? Well, I think he's not only going to show us why, he's going to show us that which should motivate us to this behavior. Look in our passage again, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And here you go. For we... Also, once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. This verse 3 begins with the term 4, and it's signifying an explanation. Here's why, and a reason why, that should motivate us to why we are to be this way. And ultimately, we're going to see it's because Christ was this way to us when we were like them. 
That's really what it is. He was this way to us when we were just like them. And we got to see it. Because in our pride and sometimes self-righteousness, because of what Christ has done for us, we can become self-righteous. We can start to think of ourselves more highly than we should. And so then he begins with what should motivate us. For we also once were, and he begins to give a list. He begins, he says, foolish ourselves. We were once also. That's a really powerful statement. For we also once were. Just think of it that way. When you're around people that don't know Christ, think of, for we also once were. We were. We were just like them. We were just like them. And this is what links us to every non-believer before we came to Christ. Before we came to Christ, this puts us in the same place. We were also once, and then he gets and begins to share the things that we were, the way that we were. We need to remember these things. We need to be reminded of this because we might treat people differently if we don't remember this is the way we were and Christ was kind to us. For we were once also, here we go first, foolish ourselves. We were, it speaks of an imperfect tense. It's in the, in the Greek. It speaks of an ongoing, continual, habitual action in the past. This is the way we were continually in the past. He says, first of all, we were foolish ourselves. The term foolish means without understanding. We didn't get it. We didn't understand. We didn't get it. We were once foolish ourselves. Everyone apart from Christ is foolish and ignorant. We were once that way. We didn't become so knowledgeable that we came to Christ on our own. It was the gospel that revealed the truth that was able to give us the wisdom to understand, like we see in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It gave us the wisdom of our sinfulness and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians chapter 4? He, he motivates uh, them to right behavior based on the way they used to be and the way we used to be. Ephesians chapter 4, let's turn to Ephesians 4.17. He's going to say, don't walk the way you used to walk. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Ephesians 4.17, Therefore I say to you and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, that's uh, those who don't know Christ, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. They're foolish. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in their hearts, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of evil, impurity and with greediness. He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. If you haven't repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, um, then you are, by God's definition, foolish. You are without knowledge. You are without the knowledge that you need for salvation. You are ignorant of the truth. You are foolish. And all of us were that way before. Apart from God's kindness, grace, love, mercy, convicting the heart of sin, bringing salvation in Christ, we're foolish. We didn't understand. And non-believers around us are foolish. And even they're hardened, but they're foolish. Everyone 
before Christ was without understanding. For we also once were foolish ourselves. And then notice the second word he says, disobedient. We know what that means, right? Disobedient. We didn't believe what God said, and thus we didn't obey what God said. We were rebels at heart, just like them. Same thing. We were continually, habitually disobedient. Maybe we had it in a religious format, but we were disobedient. We were foolish and disobedient. So don't contend with them. Don't be unkind. Be gentle, as Christ was to you. Be kind like him, because we were foolish and disobedient like them, and he was kind to us when the kindness of our God and Savior appeared, right? We were foolish and disobedient. And notice, before we were saved, we were also continually being led astray or deceived. For we were also once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived. Now this is in a passive voice, and it's from the Greek word plano. It speaks of a wandering or straying. It speaks of being literally led astray. We were continually being led astray. We were deceived. Now we know that the state of mankind apart from Christ is one of being deceived and led astray. They are deceived. And Satan is the one who deceives the whole world. We see that. Revelation 12:9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil Satan, who deceives the whole world. He's the one. He's the deceiver. And we know that his people deceive, his bad guys deceive also. Paul says, evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, 2 Timothy 3.13. John says in, in 2 John verse 7, many deceivers have gone into the world. Indeed, we know in Titus that the elders are to hold fast the faithful word that they may be able to exhort and refute in sound doctrine uh, those. Why? For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, and deceivers. We know even in Romans chapter 16 that there are deceivers. There are those who are slaves of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So we once were deceived also. Like them, like them. Before Christ, we were deceived. Let me give you some examples. We were deceived to think that our own religion was worth something apart from Christ. James one twenty six. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. We were deceived that we could live any way we want without any consequences. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will reap. There's a judgment for every word and deed. We were deceived thinking we weren't going to go through that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, or do you not know that the righteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. We were all deceived. We were deceived before we came to Christ. And so now that we are in Christ, we're not to be deceived anymore. Do not be deceived. Right? So what's the point? Before Christ, we need to remember that we were continually deceived. Therefore, we need to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to not contend with them, but to be gently yielding and showing consideration for all men. Do you contend with the deceived? 
Do you malign the deceived? Are you harsh with them? Tempted to be that way. Their sin's so awful. It's so wicked, and they're on their way to hell, and they're in the way they treat people, and the consequences are horrible. You know, tempted to be that way, but we're not to be that way. Because we once were the same way. And notice he continues. He says, enslaved, end of verse 3, to various lusts and pleasures. Enslaved, uh, that should be translated rather than enslaved here. I think the New King James does a better job here. It should be translated serving. We were servants. We were willing servants. We were actively serving these things. We weren't held in chains. We loved what we served. We loved it. Yes, it chained us down, but we loved it. We were serving our lusts. We were serving our various lusts and pleasures. That's how we lived. We lived for gratification or pleasure. That is what we did. You see, if you don't know Christ, you serve your own will. You actively serve your own desires. You serve your own pleasures, and you are thus a slave to these things. And we were that way. So we need to recognize that when we were this way, Jesus was kind to us. He wasn't... uh, He didn't come initially to judge. There will be judgment, and we declare that. But he was kind, and he was kind to us. He brought salvation first. He brought salvation first. And then notice he continues the way we were, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. Man, just watch TV. It's just what it is. It's all over the place. The hatefulness, the hatred, the malice, it 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 is expanded like you wouldn't believe. It's just the way we were and the way the world is. The term spending our life means leading through, Diego, leading through. This is the way our lives were led or spent. They were led in the context of malice, speaks of kakaya, an evil disposition bent on doing harm to others. It's that feeling that comes over you when you're cut off by somebody in a car and you want to get them. That's malice. That's malice. It's evil. It's an internal desire to harm those who have caused our pleasures or desires to be thwarted. Little malice, big malice, this is how we used to live. This is how we spent our lives. And notice also we spent it in the context of envy. Envy is the wicked attitude that, uh, that has resentment towards the advantage of another. Someone else doing well, whatever they have, whatever it might be. It's resentment. And then we have the terms hateful and hating one another. The first word uh, speaks of uh, uh, just the idea of our demeanor. And the second word speaks of our action. We were hateful, and then we were hating one another. We had a demeanor of hate, and we were hating one another. The term speaks of a strong dislike or having a strong aversion with the implication of hostility, hating one another. This was the course of our lives Absorbed in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And there you have it, God's description of all of us and everyone before Christ. We were that way. And because we were that way, as we'll see in a moment, Jesus was kind to us when we were that way. We're to be kind to them when they're that way. We're to be the same as Christ. Let's go back to our passage here. Remind them to be subject to rulers' authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasure, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But 
Isn't this wonderful? When the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. That's just wonderful. We were in the manner in which deserved malice, deserved an evil response in a sense, of speaking in a worldly sense. But Christ didn't do that because Christ is kind, he's gracious, he's merciful. When the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Wow, we need to be manifesting the kindness of our God and Savior. We need to be manifesting his love. And I'm not saying that we don't speak of evil and sin. You've got to speak of sin for the gospel. People need to repent of their sins. But it's not that we are now uh, judging them in the context of sin. We are sharing the judgment that is coming for their sin that they need to escape, that they would be saved. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The offer of salvation is available to everyone. You see, his kindness and love in Christ appeared for us. And we were in this mode, and he saved us. And therefore, we need to have a different demeanor towards those who don't know Christ towards all men. We need to be ready for every good deed. We need to have the word stored up in our hearts so that we don't react the way we're tempted to react, so we don't act the way we're tempted to act. You see, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God came because God is gracious and God is loving and God is kind and He is that kindness is towards us. So he sent his son who died for us and through faith in him we were saved. We were delivered from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son and we're to be reminded because of what Christ did for us and who we used to be and what he did for us that we're to be different towards those who don't know Christ. And that should cause some of us to go, man, I've had some bad attitudes, and Lord, forgive me. And you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And I've been forgiven. I've had bad attitudes. You see the wickedness. I began talking about all that's going on around us and all the wickedness and evil on so many different levels. It is tempting to have really rotten attitudes towards those people. We need to pray that we would have the attitude of our Savior. We would be showing consideration towards all men. We'd be ready for every good deed. It doesn't say compromise. It doesn't say compromise. It shows, speaks of kindness. And ultimately the goal to share Christ that they, as we were, might be saved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you were kind to us, that you are not like the way we have been at times towards those who don't know you. So thankful that you are a gracious, kind, merciful God. And Lord, may we uh, become more and more like you. May you help us uh, when we're tempted to respond wrongly, Lord God. We see the evil and wickedness out there. We're to avoid it. We're not to get involved in it. We're not to rejoice in it. Uh, we're to stay away from it, Lord, and yet we see it and, it, and it makes us upset at times. And, Lord, it's not wrong to be upset at uh, the consequences of evil, Lord God, but we need to give that over to you. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Lord, I pray that you'll help us be more like Christ. Lord, that we will be those who shine uh, brightly the character of Christ in the midst of a dark world so that people might glorify you uh, because of what Christ did in us. 
So we thank you so much for your kindness and mercy in Christ for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.